Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let Freedom Reign Podcast. And again, I thank you for tuning in week after week. Now, in our continued mission to grow the value of horsemanship, I'd like to present an opportunity for everybody to give back a little bit. Travis and Mariah Reynolds of Crooked Bar Ranch are having their inaugural ranch rodeo in Shawnee, Oklahoma on June 8th. Now, Travis left a career in law enforcement to begin his journey in ministry. It just so happens that Travis and Mariah were featured in episode 20 of Let Freedom Reign podcast. So if you want to learn a little bit more about who they are and what they're all about, go back a few episodes and listen in. Now, the ranch rodeo will include four-man teams with three events. The events include cow milking, steer doctoring, and a bunkhouse scramble. The entry fee is $200 a team, and the event will include buy-in jackpots for horseback musical chairs and a five-drum barrel race after the main events. Now, the infamous Chicho Nation will be the man behind the mic calling this great family event. There is no charge for spectating, and if you would like to enter this event, please contact Travis via social media at Crooked Bar Ranch on Facebook and Instagram. Currently, the event is looking for sponsors, and the sponsorships will not only help fund the rodeo, but the ministry efforts alike. The ministry focuses on the future of young adults who need an encounter with Christ in their lives. Please reach out to the folks at Crooked Bar Ranch if you would like to be part of this amazing inaugural event. I thank you for your support of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance, and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. You know, I want to thank each and every one of you for continually listening to the show, advocating for the show, and helping us grow and spread the word of the advantages of horsemanship and its benefits for the human being alike. You know, this week we got to sit down with Emily Gernot, who's a barrel racer and horsewoman alike. She was kind enough to take a few minutes out of her day before getting ready for a barrel race and sit down and talk life a little bit. She's traveled an incredible journey, and in this week's episode, the underlying themes are purpose and direction. Emily was exposed to horses at a very early age, took a little bit of a break, and is now back into it full time. As always, we hope you find value in the content of these episodes, and we appreciate all your support via social media. Week in and week out, we get messages from all over the world, and our listeners continue to share their appreciation of our guest testimony. Again, you can follow us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Emily Gernot. Emily, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? Doing very, very well. I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to make time for everybody here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I know you are currently at a barrel race and you got horses to get ready, but we appreciate you squeezing in some time to, to share with us today. No problem. I'm happy to be here. So speaking of barrel racing, how about your schedule coming up? You've been pretty busy? I have been busy. Um, just about every weekend or every other weekend, I'm on the road going somewhere. Um, I have a maturity horse this year. I'm campaigning. And so that's exciting, keeping me busy. Definitely, definitely. So what does your schedule entail throughout the rest of the year? I mean, do you stay pretty busy or you you focus on horses there at the barn? Um, it stays pretty consistent. Um, I'm going to be doing some more colt starting again coming up here. Um, and, you know, just my regular training horses as far as like taking in some barrel horses and tuning horses up. Um, and then I have a couple of my own, too, um, that I keep going with as well. I say sometimes it seems difficult to get the ones that you own, right? 
Yeah. Yep. They're always at the bottom of the list. <laughs> I was going to say, everybody else's horse comes first, it seems. That's right. Good stuff. Good yep. stuff. So I say we get right into it. Let's get a, get into a little bit about who you are and kind of your, your start with horses and sure. we'll work towards where you are today. All right. Well, I grew up on a dairy farm in northern Michigan. Um, my family was not like a horse family whatsoever. My dad is a third generation dairy farmer. And um, so that was our main focus as a family. We did it all together. You know, that pretty much took up our our free time. And so um, my oldest sister, when she was around eight years old or so, I was two years old and she was pretty horse crazy and was persistent. And so um, she convinced my mom and dad to let her get some lessons at a place down the road. And then eventually they ended up buying a horse from that farm. And that was kind of the beginning of everything for me and all my sisters. I was um, say the, the beginning of the end, right? Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they had any idea what they were getting themselves into then. Yeah. But um, anyways, like I said, I was two years old. And so they would just throw me up on the horse, I think, every now and then. And <laughs> I'd get a taste for it. But um, it just it blossomed from there. We started doing 4-H and um, equestrian team and just did all the events and got a few more horses along the way. Pretty humble beginnings, you know. I started out with a little stringy-tailed Arabian horse, and um, she was 20-plus years old and just taught me how to sit in the saddle and balance and things like that. But that's a big part of it, right, that I think people often overlook is that you got to have horses that kind of fit where you're at as a rider, right? Where you're at as a horseman. And, and the goal is, is to kind of progress together. And um, I can speak from personal experience, when you do not blend those two lines very well, uh, it can make for a mess real fast. Absolutely, yes. I can't imagine the great horses I would have ruined if I would have had them too early. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I had such forgiving, good lesson horses as a kid. And, and that really was important. That's a big part of it. So have you always been drawn to the barrel racing or, or have you ridden a multitude of discipline? I was not drawn to the barrel racing until I was an adult. Um, I actually went through a seven-year period of time where I didn't own horses whatsoever. Um, after high school, I just kind of had to grow up and go off to school and I couldn't afford to keep horses at the time and was actually like terribly allergic to horses to begin with. But after being away from them for, for seven years, um, I kind of lost my immunity that I had built up. And so going back to them was hard because, you know, I was so much more allergic to them. So I kind of had to get back into it slowly once I could afford to have a horse again. I had to go through all sorts of treatment, allergy injections, and all of that just to get back to it. I was going to say, that's a, that's a challenge I've never even thought of, right? Yeah. What a hurdle in and of itself. Yeah, it was. It really was. Uh, it was like a two-year period of time where I had to go through um, immunotherapy, basically, oh, wow. to get get back to where I could just be around them. It's pretty miraculous now. They don't even bother me, but it did take some time. But as an adult, um, there wasn't anything competition-wise going going on that like I was experienced in. I used to do like Western Pleasure events and um, things of that nature, like halter and showmanship and things like that. But that had kind of fizzled out in my area. And so, you know, barrel racing was kind of taken off and 
Um, I had some friends that were doing it and I thought it'd be fun to get in on that and just get a prospect and <laughs> fumble my way through <laughs> trying to make a barrel horse. <laughs> I hear you. So, I hear you. Yeah. So at any point, I mean, there's, there's always the, the stereotypical barrel horse, right? They run hot. They can't hold still in an alley. Yeah. What yeah. has been your experience in, in balancing, and this is a question that's often discussed on the show, balancing mm-hmm. the needs for a horse to perform against true horsemanship and actually working with a horse and developing a partnership? Yeah, you know, that was one of the things that that actually kind of deterred me from trying barrel racing in the beginning is because I always thought it just looked so out of control and so wild and <laughs> the riders looked wild and everything. And it um, was out of my comfort zone for sure. But that's kind of what started my journey as far as like really learning horsemanship. And what I found is that barrel racing is just horsemanship at high speed. You're still using a lot of the same principles, you know, pressure and release. You're still using everything that you would, like I do, colt starting and everything horsemanship wise it's just everything's going rapid yeah (laughs) and that's a tough part about it right is to be able to get a horse to relax at speed to be able to cue a horse correctly at speed Mm -hmm. right your your margins are a lot lot smaller so you just you have to force yourself to be that much more disciplined absolutely yep that's that's the challenging part about it and it's what i love too you know it's timing is down to a hundredth of a second or a thousandth of a second and so every little every little move that you make counts um, and every little hesitation from your horse counts. So if you have resistance, if you have any type of, you know, miscommunication, you know, that could cost you from placing. And I think it's incredible. I talked with Alex Alves last week, who's a rain cow horse competitor. And we talked about, he has experience with uh, rope horses. And we Mm -hmm. talked about how incredible these horses truly are, yet how unpopular horsemanship is in some of these timed event disciplines, you know, and it, yes, it'd be absolutely incredible once we start making horsemanship a mainstay in it. And I think it is progressing at a very, very successful rate right now. Uh, we're in the very early stages of it, but it's incredible to see what these sports can become when, when we really start placing an emphasis on horsemanship rather than just kick the guts out of it and see what kind of time you can get. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I can speak for barrel racing too, that there's there's been a shift for sure um as far as horsemanship goes and a lot of people are looking for answers on a deeper level and they're they're really diving into the horsemanship aspect of it more so than you know years past yeah i think it's a very exciting time to be involved in horsemanship across many disciplines absolutely so for you who was your who's your biggest mentor biggest influence in horsemanship or did you have a pivotal moment where you just realized hey I need to find a better answer than what's going on right now absolutely yes so when I first started getting back into horses as an adult my good friend Kristen Hamaker um, helped me a ton she she works for Clinton Anderson as a certified clinician um, and she moved back to Michigan after going through the academy. Um, about about the same time I was wanting to get back into horses. And um, so she helped me find my prospect and she offered to start him for me. And I got to be a part of that whole process. So when she was, you know, working with him, um, 
and starting him from the round pen work to, you know, saddling him and um, teaching him to bend and all of those things. I got to be a part of that and see his progress. And it just, it gave me a taste for what horsemanship really looked like when you broke it down like that. You know, I got to see how quickly he made progress and it was just super inspiring to me. And it, it was a process that I could get a hold of and actually replicate myself. And so, you know, before that, I always kind of thought with horsemanship, you either had it or you didn't. And it wasn't necessarily a skill that you learned, but it was something that you were born with. Like, you know, horse whispery type of stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I'm not sure where I got that idea, but yeah. in my head, it was like, you either had it or you didn't. And yeah. you were a cult starter or yeah. you weren't. So that, that just opened up possibilities to me. And it made me feel like, well, I could, I could learn those skills and put those skills to use um, and then learn more about the horse in the process. I think it's been an incredible journey, and and in listening to you describe it, I think the the biggest point that you make in that is you taking an investment or involvement in that horse's upbringing. So oftentimes, mm-hmm. people will ship a horse off for training, and and don't partake or participate in any of that horse's training, or even understanding where that training's come from. Excuse me, where that training comes from, and when the horse is done training and shipped back home, you have no clue what you're even dealing with or how to communicate or how (laughs) communication has been done. You know, it's a huge hurdle that I think needs to be leapt over in regards to trainers and clients and their relationships. Yes, absolutely. Um, That was, that was definitely a pivotal moment for me because I could be a part of the process and, and know what steps to take next. And she, you know, kind of held my hand along the way. And I would always, um, after I took the horse back home, I'd, call or text her, um, go and ride with her more. And, um, she gave me, you know, steps to do next and videos and DVDs and things like that. So that, that gave me, um, a jumping off point as far as my horsemanship went. I can think back to a moment when I was riding with a mentor of mine and I was just kind of getting frustrated with a process that we were working on. And he pulled me aside and said, Hey, if if you don't have this knowledge within yourself, right, and you've mm-hmm. never been exposed to this type of horsemanship or this type of approach, you yeah. know, how can you hold yourself accountable and let alone hold your horse accountable? You know, you got to be a little bit more forgiving right. in your approach. And I think the blessing of a true mentor is is incredible mm-hmm. and it helps people learn leaps and bounds because when you don't have that, right, there's just the blind frustration of not knowing. And when the only real way to defeat it is with knowledge, in, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) That was something that Kristen taught me too, is, you know, there's always an answer. Um, It's just a matter of finding it. And, you know, I asked a lot of questions of her and of other um, horsemen that I knew Um, whenever I ran into trouble or got frustrated, that was my first sign. You know, if I'm frustrated, that means I've run out of knowledge and I need to go looking for the answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. And it takes a different level of awareness to have that, right? Oftentimes, a lot of that frustration is projected onto the horse, and it's it's not really mm-hmm. the horse's fault, right? Right, exactly. Good stuff. So I want to talk to you a little bit. We we spoke previously in the week and the challenges and adversities and kind of how the horse has helped you grow. And you talked about you somewhat being crippled by placing so much value in other people's beliefs or maybe a stereotype that you're supposed to fit in. Can you kind of, can you elaborate on that and and what your experience was and kind of how the horse helped you progress through that transition? Sure. 
So I grew up in a really small town and I think just in my mind somewhere, I just kind of figured that there was this path for me in life and that, um, you know, that was, that was what I was destined to do. And it was what everybody else before me went and did, you know, in this small town. And, um, so that's what I did. Everybody just kind of got married and had kids and stuck around. Um, I did end up getting married and got divorced and went through all of that. So in the midst of that, I really feel like God brought horses back into my life for that, for that purpose was to give me purpose and direction within myself, you know, where I wasn't relying on somebody else to give me some type of validation or purpose in life. And so through horsemanship and through just spending time in the saddle, um, I feel like God did so much refining in me that I couldn't have gotten anywhere else. You know, the horses are like a giant mirror. (laughs) You know, if you have negative emotions, if you have, um, you know, anger or or anything built up in you or pride, that's going to come out in your training. And, you know, it was, it was very revealing to me to be able to start, you know, a bunch of colts and see the progress and then see some regression when I would have problems going on personally. Um, so that would just, that drove me, you know, closer to God and closer to, you know, figuring out the things that I needed to work on personally. Yeah, and the the feeling that you described and the experience that you described is is the exact reason that this podcast has come to light. You know, I have my own experiences with the horse and how Mm -hmm. it helped save me. And and I tell people the horse is the toughest blessing with the horse is it it oftentimes is a mirror that you don't want to look into. Yes, right, (laughs) absolutely. Right, we all have our dings and our dents and our imperfections, and oftentimes. There's so much societal pressure to be great and to be beautiful and to have everything perfect. But the reality of it is life is none of that. None whatsoever. (laughs) You know? Yep. And and I had very, very parallel experiences when I was kind of finding myself. I mean, the the point of my life when I considered myself the most broken, I, I was always kind of the person that grew up in always would find the answer if I didn't have it right. I didn't need anybody else's help. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really care what anybody else thought. I had my ways and I, and I went about it and it brought me success. Well, when my ways weren't bringing me success, uh, I was lost. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know how to go about it, you know, and I spent a lot of hours with the horse. I mean, there were days when I would just sit in a stall and cry, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to figure things yeah. out and just... <laughs> overwhelmed with life and frustration and not finding answers in my own life. And and when yeah. you just sit back and enjoy the horse for what it is, you find one little glimpse of clarity, you know, and for me, that just started a whirlwind. I wanted a second glimpse of clarity and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And now it's just welled up to, to years and years and years of positive experience with the horse. And you know, people often ask, you know, how did you learn all this stuff or where did you learn it? I do have my horsemanship mentors and I do spend a lot of time studying, but oftentimes I tell people, it's the horse that gave me the answers to all this stuff. I didn't have it. Yes. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. I just kicked back and kind of enjoyed the show and and through moments of God's grace, you know, the right opportunities presented themselves and the right growth could take place. And and here we are today trying to share that with 
everybody and anybody that's willing to listen. I think it's an incredible opportunity, and the horse is an amazing animal that God has placed on this earth to to better humanity. I absolutely agree. That's been my experience too. Is the horse has changed me? You know, it's it's been God's gift to me for refinement. You know, sometimes the refinement is hard. You know, <laughs> yes. you just, <laughs> it's a lot uglier than we want it. <laughs> it it can get ugly for sure. And, yeah. Um, yeah. But it's so it's so neat too at the same time. Yeah. There's so much. I mean, for me, and, and I've spoke about it on the show numerous times over. You know, grace and forgiveness were the two things that I didn't give myself that the horse mm-hmm. horse taught me. And, yeah, amen and, to that. <laughs> and understanding, right, that the imperfections are the pages in our in our book, right, and the chapters in our story, and it makes us who we are. It's not a flaw, per se. Right. It's not a knock to our personalities. It's just, it was a bump in our road, right? But we wouldn't be the people That's we right. are today without it. That's right, yep. How are you using kind of horsemanship to help folks now? I know horsemanship is a big deal and a big emphasis in your in your training program, but... There's often yeah. parallels, you know, in, in horsemanship and living life itself. What do you try to help folks with in your experience? Well, I have a blog that I write in a lot. And a lot of times I'm kind of drawing the parallels between horsemanship and life and, and facing issues and things like that, or just personal um, things that I have experienced. So, you know, I like to be able to reach a lot of people with that. Um, but on a personal level, I love to do lessons and um you know, especially with barrel racers and stuff, because like we talked about before, sometimes horsemanship isn't at the forefront of those speed events. And um, so helping people to understand the horse and um, really how their mind operates and why they do what they do has been really cool um, to share with people because it doesn't just give them a fix for the moment. It teaches them how to fix problems in the future because they can look at it from the horse's perspective and they can think about it critically and help make, you know, decisions, um, based off of how the horse is thinking and feeling. Um, yeah, not which, acting so emotional. Exactly. So that sets them up for success in the future. And, you know, that's been a really cool experience to share with people, um, that I do lessons with is they might come for one or two lessons, but you know, they've solved problems six or seven weeks down the road that they didn't even know that they had Yeah, because they, they got the tools to be able to do it on their own too. Yeah. No, that's incredible. It's incredible. Let's talk a little bit more about your blog. Where can folks find it? And then I would like to know how it all came to be. I mean, were you always a writer or is this something just uh, somewhat therapeutic? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you know, I don't even know why I started the blog at first, you know, <laughs> I do. I love to read and I love to write. And it was just something I thought I would give it a whirl. Um, you know, I, when I first started it, I was kind of just starting out as a trainer and was kind of um, documenting my thoughts and training methods and things as I went. And so I kind of wanted a resource for myself to look back at and see how I grew as a horseman. And um, also just wanted to see, you know, if it would help other people too. So that's kind of how that got started. Um, I didn't go to writing, you know, to college for writing or anything. So I'm sure that there's plenty of grammatical errors yeah, and whatever. different things, but <laughs> <laughs> I think the content's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, anyways, they can find it. Um, it's just my first and last name, emilygernot.com. And spell and your last name for me because it's an uncommon spelling. Sure. It's G E R. N-A-A-T. 
Perfect. Perfect. So, and how, how often do you post? Um, I've been trying to do it about once a week. Um, sometimes I don't get it quite that often, but I do try to be pretty consistent about it now. Recently, it sounds like you made a big move, right? Leaving uh, Michigan and headed for Tennessee. Yeah. Um, I actually moved to Oklahoma first <laughs> and I worked for a breeder out there that had a really large operation and was hired on as a futurity trainer there and um, rode for them for about four months and then just kind of decided to part ways. You know, it was hard going from working for myself to working for somebody else that just had different ideas on training and timelines and um, horsemanship in general um, and kind of, you know, different differing beliefs as far as that went. And so, um, you know, I decided some things I wasn't willing to compromise on as far as that went and decided to part ways at that point. Yeah. And to each their own, right? I mean, yeah, there are, there are hard lines with things that are right and wrong, right? As far as how you treat a horse or what you do with a horse. But so yep. much of this stuff is a feel, right? And if some people yep. feel that they're correct, so be it, right? But you might have yep. 15 other ways to ch achieve that same goal and that same mission, you know? And I think with a lot of this yes. horsemanship, I've, I've ex excuse me, with a lot of this horsemanship stuff that I've experienced, right? So many people get hung up in it's my way or the highway, or this is the greatest form of horsemanship mm -hmm. and this isn't, or this trainer is the best and this one is garbage. And, and yep. I think it's such a narrow-minded approach, you know? There's there's so many great horsemen out there, and with the advent of social media and the internet and YouTube and all that stuff, we have so much access to good information. Now, the yes, small sure. caveat to that is that there's tons of garbage out there, and everybody's a trainer, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. But, but it's the, the reality of working in an unregulated industry, you know? So I think, mm -hmm. I think you do just like you did, right? You take your good experiences as you can, and you move on and, and find a better way to do it or find a more comfortable way to do it. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it definitely was a good experience. I've, I had plenty of opportunity to learn and grow there as a horsewoman and, um, you know, ride a lot of different horses and deal with different breeding and things. So that was definitely, you know, experience gained and it was it was good. I think the breeding stuff is incredible. I mean, because when you get into it, right, you're putting yourself at a statistical advantage, but can you really predict genetics? Person, I know. You know? Um, yeah. And that was something that was cool to experience is because I got to ride a lot of horses that were bred very similarly, similarly, or, um, you know, were out of the same mare or by the same stud. And so to see their similarities and differences were really cool. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree. You definitely are putting yourself at a statistical advantage to be be on something that's bred to do a, a certain job, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just starting with the best canvas that you possibly can and then adding layers as you go. Yeah, try not to mess it up along the way, right? <laughs> exactly. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Great. So for you and your journey, when did you decide that horses were the career for you? You know, oftentimes it's a very difficult and trying profession, but I think yeah. I think with most of us, when it's in your blood, it's in your blood, right? And you yeah. just find a way to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, after I had worked with my friend Kristen um, for a while, I rode kind of off and on with her throughout the course of a year um, and just <laughs> fell more in love with the training process. And so I got a couple more prospects of my own and 
um, decided to give cold starting a try on my own and just dove right into it. And like I said, whenever I ran out of knowledge, I went searching for the answers and did so much studying and learning in that first year of just messing around with my own horses. And then, you know, I just kind of snowballed from there. I had friends asking if I would take a horse or, um, you know, family members that were thinking about sending me a horse. And I thought, well, maybe I could just try this, you know, and take a a few horses and yeah, and just go for it. And so that's what I did. And the first year, um, working as a trainer, you know, I just took in whatever horses came my way. It could be a trail horse. It could be somebody's show horse. It, it was anything and everything. That was, that was a really, really good experience for me. Um, because, you know, I rode some, some pretty great horses and I rode some horses that were really, really challenging. And, you know, um, it was just all around good experience. Um, the challenges made me grow a lot and the horses that, you know, were beyond my level made me grow for sure because I had to go looking for those answers and I couldn't just rely on my own, my own methods, you know? Yeah. And I think in, in talking with you, I think the greatest, the greatest attribute that you show, right, is your, your positive personality. And you talk about, you know, riding great horses and riding horses that are less than great, you know, but you're using Mm -hmm. it as an educational opportunity and a, a chance to develop, uh, where yes. in your life have you developed that that mentality? I mean, that's that's a difficult skill to somewhat come up with, you know, and not get overwhelmed. And oftentimes, trying times in life are, yeah. are kind of the defining moments that shape that. So, for you, you know, where is that positivity or that opportuni- opportunistic type mentality come from? Um, I didn't really have that mentality at all until I was an adult. Um, I I read this book called The Talent Code. Um, and it, it changed my perspective on a lot of things because it talked about, um, how talent is developed and it's not just this innate thing and that some people are given, you know, talent by the talent fairy or whatever. It's, it's something that's developed from, you know, a young age. If, if you want to learn a skill, you develop it. So that changed my outlook entirely on everything. (laughs) I decided, from then on that if I wanted to do something that I would put the work into it and make it happen. Um, so if I wanted to learn something, I would put the work into learning it and practicing it and doing it over and over and over until, you know, until it seemed like it was a talent, but it really wasn't. It was the hard work, you know, I think it's incredible. And and I truly believe, you know, that God's got a path for all of us and, I know in my life, I, I, I traveled a path that I thought was correct for me, and it wasn't, and now God's driven my life in a completely different direction, and a lot of opportunities are being created as a result, and, you know, oftentimes I have those same struggles, and, and to this day, it still exists, like, you know, hey, am I in a position to take advantage of this opportunity? Mm-hmm. Am I in an arena that I even belong in, Right. Right, um, right. And and there's always that self-doubt and recently an opportunity came up and and I talked it over with my family for quite a quite a while and 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 explaining it I'm thinking, man, I have no business doing this yet. It seems like yeah. a pretty obvious open door to walk through, you know, and and I struggle with it and struggle with it and then I obviously reached out and the opportunity is starting to develop, but That's but I awesome. think it, I think it's incredible for you and I think it's a testament to leadership, right? In, in your own personal life is that 
sometimes you just got to go for it. <laughs> right. I a hundred, I a hundred percent agree. You know, and that's it sounds... the other thing I learned is, you know, if you're afraid to do something, you just do it afraid, just yeah. go and do yeah. it. And, you know, when I first started training, I, I probably really didn't have any business training for other people, but people were real willing to take a risk on me and, um, allow me to, you know, help them with their horse. And I was honest with them and, and they just, they had faith in me and, um, I was afraid and I just did it afraid. Yeah. And I think you make two great points there. You know, one is that obviously these people saw something in you. Yeah. Right. Or else the opportunity wouldn't come about. And, and I think it's hard sometimes for us to get out of our own way. And I think the second, the second valuable point that you make there is the honesty, right? Mm-hmm. I get approached with things all the time and people ask questions and I am extremely honest with who I am. And I tell them, hey, I am a small fish in a big pond. You know, I've paid a lot of attention to horses and horsemanship for quite a few years mm-hmm. now, but I'm definitely not this grandiose trainer or professional or can work miracles with horses. You know, it just, I work as hard as I can at it day in and day out and I will forever be a student of the horse and horsemanship. And Absolutely, me too. The unfortunate thing is, though, in this profession is that sometimes there's a lot of, well, more times than not, there's a lot of dishonest people, right, that sell a mm-hmm. horse as it as it isn't or claim a far greater resume than what they actually have. Right, right. And I think that that is part of the reason, you know, I I got clients and people did have faith in me is because they knew my character before they knew me as a trainer. And so, you know, the people close to me would send horses simply for the fact that they knew, you know, I'd be honest and upfront and um, I would take care of their horse. So, you know, that was the beginning and, you know, it progressed from there to where I was getting just, you know, nicer and nicer horses sent my way. And, you know, I'm still growing in that, that area. But you will forever be, right? It's just, that's part of it, right? If you're really that passionate about it and you, you take the care in horsemanship that, that should be taken. Do you think you'll ever be there? I, I mean, for me personally, no. I don't think I'll ever say that, hey, I got this thing figured out. No, I don't think so whatsoever. I mean, I can't, I've, every day that I go out to the barn and, and work with the horses, I learn something. Um, and it seems like, you know, at least a few times a week, I'm having some kind of epiphany that I feel strongly enough about that I have to write it down. Yeah. So, you know, that's what keeps me hooked, though, is that that learning part of it is it's never done. And you can always become better. You can always, you know, personally grow. So that's the exciting part to me. Yeah, it is so addicting. It is so addicting. So addicting. <laughs> what is in your future? What is the direction of your program? What are your big grandiose plans? And, and how do you think you're yeah. going to go about them? Yeah. Um, well, I my heart is really in the barrel futurities. I love working with the young horses um, and you know, that's what I'm really passionate about. I do love colt starting and that, that'll be something that I always do. Um, but definitely, you know, driving more towards training barrel maturity horses and that's, you know, what I'm passionate about. So, you know, I've bought prospect of my own and I have my open horse that, um, I'll probably forever keep. And then, you know, a couple of maturity horses of clients too right now. So, so let's talk about Colt starting for a second, right? Since foundation is sure. such a big deal. Yep. And there's so many different ways to do this and start horses. What for you is kind of the foundation of your program and working with young horses or kind of the staples of your approach to starting, to starting Colts? 
something that I think I do a little bit different than everybody else is I, I will observe a, a new horse that I get in for a few days. Um, usually if I can, I will put them out in a pasture with three or four other horses, as long as the client is comfortable with that. Um, because I want to see how they interact. Um, I want to see what their natural tendencies are, um, in a group of horses. And then I want to develop a game plan after that. Um, you know, I watch, I watch how they interact with the dominant mare or with a gelding that's kind of a pushover or, you know, how quickly they move away from a horse that's going to um, kind of be aggressive towards them. I want to see what their response is. Um, and then I can kind of start to develop a plan for training after that. It's so much good information to just sit and watch yeah. um, that, you know, it's that's what's interesting to me because they all respond differently um, when they're put in a group like that. Yeah, and it, it'll show you the the variety of personality, right? I mean, how bold are they? Are, do they exactly. step up and lead when they need to, or are they just trying to push everybody around? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. two completely different horses. and Yep. Kind of what a great way to gain a little intel on the horse before you jump in the pen with them. Yeah. Well, I found that if I, if I have the time to do that, it saves me a boatload of time on starting yeah. them. Yeah. Because, you know, I know, you know, for a certain horse, I might need to back off quite a bit and let them gain some confidence for another horse. You know, they might be so dominant that I need to, you know, really assert myself so that they know they're number two, you know? Yeah. So I watch for things like that, or, you know, I just got a mare in training recently that she's just playful. She's playful and she, she doesn't really care to hurt anybody's feelings. She doesn't want to push <laughs> anybody else around. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I watch her in the pasture and think, okay, you know, she just wants, she wants a buddy that's going to lead her, not yeah. necessarily somebody that's way over the top or so I watch for things like that and then try to tailor things to the horse in that way. No, I think it's a great approach. I think it's an, an incredible approach. It's very interesting perspective. Um, and then, you know, if I have them in a small paddock, there's a couple little things I look for too, as far as like how I might even train them as a barrel horse. There's some horses I feel that you have to always keep things like um, different and changing and keep them guessing and, you know, kind of keep the anticipation out of them because they'll, they'll always be looking to be a step ahead of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, those are the ones that kind of in a paddock or a pasture situation, they'll just kind of meander and roam wherever and run around here or there. And then there's some horses, if you watch, they'll do the exact same thing every day. They'll go to the water trough in the same path every day. They'll walk back to their favorite little spot in the shade every day the same. And they'll end up having these little trails in their paddocks. Yeah. You know, those are the horses that I would probably stick to doing the exact same consistent thing every day. No, it's um, true. I mean, you look at, look at humans, right? Some of yep. us have to have our scheduled routine, right? And if one little stitch of that routine is thrown out of whack, then our whole entire day comes unraveled. Yep. And then there's other people <laughs> that fly by the seat of their pants and they don't know what they're going to do minute to minute, you know, and, yeah. and to each their own. And I think that's the biggest joy in horsemanship is that if 
if you're truly a student of it, right, there's so many personalities and disciplines and breeds that it could be applied to and be so, so effective. But it takes the discipline of the human to kind of break out of that that mold or the cookie cutter approach when, when working with these animals. Right. Yeah. That's kind of my philosophy on it is, you know, the horse will teach you how to train it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you just got to be willing to really listen. watch. Yeah. If you watch and you listen, um, you know, they're telling you stuff all of the time. And um, so that's, that's definitely been something that's key for my program. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes I think it sounds like hocus pocus, but if you just watch and observe, you know, they're animals and they have, different characteristics and different instincts that you want to capitalize um, when you're training or you're going to be fighting against it. Yeah. I had a pretty cool moment a while back. It was maybe a year ago now. My uh, grandfather, um, old school cowboy out of Missouri, when I first got into this horsemanship stuff, same thing. He thought it was a bunch of woo-woo, black magic stuff, and it just was so <laughs> silly. And he thought I was an idiot for even going down that path. And then he started to watch some of the progression take place over the following months and and some of the uh, the features that I was involved in. And, and lo and behold, he's at the house one day and he says, hey, can I talk to you outside? I said, okay. I don't know if I'm about to get chewed out because my grandma, grandpa, he never asked me to talk outside away from people, you know. Uh-huh. He goes into this whole spiel about how, you know, he's in his 80s now and he thinks back of all the horses that he's ridden his career and his life and, and he's feeling pretty guilty thinking he's probably ruined more than he's helped and... Oh no. <laughs> yeah, at first he's poked fun at this this horsemanship journey that I started and now he's starting to see it and lo and behold he That's asked me, sweet. Hey, hey, do you think before I leave this earth you can teach me how to be a horseman? Oh yeah. wow. And I thought that I mean I kinda me welled up with pride, <laughs> right? Because um I am no gift to horsemanship at all, right? I, I'm a student of the game and I'm I'm very early in that journey. But uh lo and behold we went That's out amazing. and started doing some round pen work and just some very, very simple exercises, obviously, because we were limited with, with age and ability there. But it's pretty mm-hmm. cool to see somebody who is so set in their ways for so long of their life, right? So many years to to have right. their eyes open to it and the benefits of it. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. It's a pretty cool moment. Pretty cool moment. Yeah. So as we wrap episodes, I like to give every guest the opportunity to kind of sell themselves. And I know we spoke about your blog a little bit earlier, sure. but... Can we talk about where people can find you, how people can reach you? Should they be interested in following some of your content, following your blog, and and maybe get involved in in your horse world? I just started a Facebook page um, for my horsemanship. It's just in the baby stages, so there's not much on there yet. But it's just Emily Gernot Horsemanship on Facebook. And um, you can follow me there or friend me on there. Um, And then I have my blog, uh, which is a great a great place to reach me to. Um, I have quite a few blogs, so, you know, there's lots to read on there and I'll keep going with that too, about once a week. And then I have an Instagram. It's just my personal Instagram, but people are welcome to follow me on that too. Good stuff. And in closing, I'd like to give every guest the opportunity to kind of share words to live by in your experiences in the life and with horsemanship. You know, what has provided you the most value that you think somebody else could benefit from? That's a great question. You know, words to live by, um, a verse in the Bible that's, that's really um, hits home for me is, um, do not grow weary of doing good, for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. And so that's kind of been my motto and my, my philosophy. If I don't give up, if I just keep planting seeds, then 
the harvest will be there. That's incredible because, you know, perseverance and discipline and, and staying the course and doing things the right way, even when it's not the easy thing to do, right? Yeah, Oftentimes absolutely. we don't see the benefit because it ain't right in front of us or it's not that quote unquote instant gratification, but you work yes. hard at it long enough and, and do good by people and do good by these horses. You know, the success will come. It's inevitable for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Well, Emily, I thank you very much for making time for us, especially amidst your busy schedule and, and actually being at a barrel race right now. And we're looking forward to everything that you have going on in 2019 and, and maybe some future episodes down the road. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And it was fun talking to you. Thanks, Emily. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.